Good morning, church. And thanks so much to Jack for leading us in that responsive reading. Uh, and I just, I need to take a second to, to brag on my ethos community because Bobby and, and Andrew are both serving on the AV team right now from my ethos community. And that announcement was amazing. And it's making me a proud ethos community leader. I feel, I feel warm inside. <laughs> And, and I'm also excited to be up here. I'm excited to be able to dive deeper into this passage that we just read together and, and look at God's promises together. Once again, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Danny Russell. I'm, I'm the church planting resident here at EBF. And as we continue our series in the Psalms, I want to just recall last week that David Kuntz kicked us off so helpfully uh, by reminding us that God's people are to be set apart from the world and rooted in his truth. And this week, we're going to turn to a psalm of thanksgiving, as we just read. Now, now thankfulness is one of those topics that I think we would have almost universal agreement, both in this room and outside, both among Christians and non-Christians, that it is good to be thankful. I don't think I have to convince you of that. It is good to be thankful. And if there's ever a time where, where that's apparent, it's during the Thanksgiving holiday, where, where people all over the country gather around the table to be thankful. But even though we know how important it is to give thanks, even though it can seem so simple and and so obvious, we're still faced with the reality that giving thanks is hard. It's hard to to sort out the good from the bad that we see. It's much easier to complain and and to grumble or to simply even lose hope. You know, we see the darkness in, in the public sphere with senseless mass shootings, with racial injustice, with, with forest fires that are still raging in California. And, and we see the darkness in our personal lives and, and in the lives of those around us. Loneliness, depression, anger. Oops. Okay. <laughs> let, me re- let me restart that sentence so you guys are following with me. I'm following with myself. We're good. The Spirit is working through it all. Okay. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in, the personal li- in our personal lives, in the lives of those around us, we see depression, loneliness, anger, grief, marital issues, sickness. And in both the public and in the personal, the list could go on and on. I'm not even, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Sometimes the darkness can feel overwhelming. You know, we know that we should be thankful, but we're often left asking the question, how? How can we be thankful when there's so much darkness? And in Psalm 30, we see David giving thanks and praise to the Lord. And I want us to look at this morning, what is driving David to thankfulness? What is stirring his soul to this thankful posture, to such overwhelming joy? And what we're going to see is that God has rescued David. God has rescued David. And I specifically want us to look at three truths about God's rescue of David And with each truth as we go, I also want to show you how they are true of those who are in Christ. And the result of this is that we're going to see that focusing on God's rescue 
leads to weighty and lasting thanksgiving. So here's a roadmap for where we're headed. Once again, that's three truths about God's rescue that lead to weighty and lasting thanksgiving. First, God rescues from death. God rescues from death. Second, God rescues into his eternal favor. God rescues into his eternal favor. And third, God rescues by his mercy. God rescues by his mercy. Let's pray before we dive into the text. Father, we confess that we are often overwhelmed by the darkness. Even though we know your promises, Lord, we don't believe them as we should. We don't hold them closely to our hearts. We're quick to complain, to grumble, and to despair. Lord, we confess our ungratefulness. As we look at your word this morning, show us your lasting and weighty promises. Teach us how to be thankful people. Correct us where we need correcting. Search our hearts and let your word cut to our deepest core. Glorify your name this morning in my preaching and work through the power of your Holy Spirit in a supernatural way. Let the truth of the gospel sink deeply into our hearts that while we were dead in our sins, you made us alive with Christ. And we pray this in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Now let's look at our first point, God rescues from death. And I want to read again verses 1 through 3. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Now, in in these first three verses, we see clearly that God has moved in David's life. We, We don't know exactly what has happened, but David speaks powerfully about the work of the Lord and the work that the Lord has done to rescue him, specifically. David has been drawn up. He's been healed. He's been restored. His enemies will not be able to rejoice over him because God heard his cries for help. And in speaking about God's rescue, David emphasizes what he has been rescued from. In verse 3, David twice mentions that if God hadn't moved, he would be in the grave. Sheol and the pit are both words to talk about being dead. David is saying, God's rescuing work is the difference between life and death. And this is important to point out because it shows that David understands the significance of his rescue. The good news of God's rescue is magnified by understanding the bad news. The good news of God's rescue is magnified by understanding the bad news. You know, I'm not ashamed to admit to you all right now that I'm a big fan of the TV show Fixer Upper. I'm not ashamed to admit that I, that I carry a magnolia keychain on my keyring, or that I know the terms subway tile, shiplap, and demo day. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the show, 
uh, it's a home renovation show where a, a family or a couple buys a home that, that needs a lot of work. And this couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, they come in and they completely remodel the home. And then at the end of the show, they, they do this grand reveal where the family first sees the finished home. Now, I want you to imagine what someone would, would think if they turned on the show and they only saw the final tour. They hadn't seen any of the transformation, just the finished product. Now, I, I think that they would get the impression that they were looking at a very nice house. Like, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that they think the house would look bad. You know, there is some intrigue to that. People like looking at nice houses. But what makes the grand reveal on Fixer Upper so incredible is knowing what the before picture looked like. It's knowing that the kitchen used to be here and the living room used to be here, that there used to be a wall in between those two rooms, that the fireplace, that didn't even exist previously. And knowing what the house looked like before is why, that, why people start crying when the house is finally revealed. That's why jaws drop. That's why people are speechless. The beauty of, its, of the house by itself would be great. But the beauty of the house is magnified by knowing how the house looked before. The beauty of the house is magnified by knowing how the house looked before. And, and that's why David focuses on what he was rescued from. Death. He was on a path towards the grave and God intervened to rescue him. And that leads him to great thanksgiving. In a similar way, as we desire to be thankful people, it's important for us to think about the spiritual reality of what was true of us before Christ, before God rescued us in Christ. And the Bible has lots to say about our spiritual reality before Christ. It says that we were darkened in our understanding, alienated from God, unclean, unrighteous, evil, and hostile towards God. And I, I want to point your attention to one passage specifically, and, and this is kind of a passage we're going to go back and forth between, so uh, you can keep it marked if you have a Bible. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and, and we'll read verses 1 through 3 together in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Without Christ, you were spiritually dead. Without Christ, you were spiritually dead. And when we are tempted to get caught up in the, in the circumstances of day-to-day -day life, beginning to complain and, and grumble, this eternal perspective is what will help us have thankful hearts. It will help us to take a step back and to see the bigger picture of how God is working that we were dead in our sins before God intervened. We had no hope without God. And like David, our souls were brought up from Sheol, and we were restored to life from among those who go down to the pit, and, and not just in a physical sense, but also for eternity. God rescues from death. Now let's move on to our second point. 
God rescues into his eternal favor. God rescues from death, and God rescues into his eternal favor. Look at verses 4 and 5. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now, I love how verse four four flows out of verse three. It's almost as if David just has to take a moment to pause and turn to the people around him so that he is not the only one thanking God for his mighty rescue. He's so full of praise that he actually can't keep it to himself. And, And that's one of the joys of worshiping together on a Sunday morning. The church isn't meant to be a place where it's just me and Jesus. The church is a place where we can look down the aisles. We can look down at the people sitting across from us and next to us. Brothers and sisters standing arm in arm, giving thanks to God's holy, God's holy name. Where we lift our voices together as one body. Where we sit together as one body under the authority of the scriptures. And where we act as one body with many parts in living out the commands of scripture. And as one body of God's rescued people, we can help each other focus on that into which God has rescued us. Because he hasn't only plucked us out of spiritual darkness and spiritual deadness, he has actually rescued us into his eternal favor. Now, verse 5, it mentions that God's anger and the reality of weeping, uh, you know, it's, those are still things that we experience on this earth. Now, what exactly is this doing in a psalm of thanks? This is the reality of living in a fallen world that is tainted by sin. Even as believers, we still receive God's discipline as he corrects our sinful ways. And and we know all too well that weeping will come in this life, that suffering is inevitable, and that pain is real. Yet David's focus here is on eternity. He knows that God's anger towards his saints is temporary, but God's favor is eternal. And and while weeping may last the night, joy will come with the morning. Joy will come when all is made right. Now, some of you parents will will know this dichotomy between anger and favor— No, I don't have any kids, so I can't speak from personal experience, but I imagine that if I did have kids, and my young son or daughter started to wander into the street unattended, I would cry out and run after them, and then I would probably sit them down, and I would explain why we don't run into the street. And now you as parents, you you may have moments of your loving anger coming out, But your overwhelming attitude towards your children, the the attitude that underlies every action that you take towards your children, is one of great favor and joy. Even on days where, where anger is stronger, when the child is sleeping peacefully in his or her bed, you can't help but feel that tug on your heartstrings. In the midst of temporary anger, your favor has not departed. And as God's children we can also remember that we have been promised eternal favor in Christ. Now I want to look back at Ephesians chapter 2. This time we'll we'll start in verse 4 and go through verse 7. 
So Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we read Psalm 30 and we see that David is praising God for his eternal favor. And then here in Ephesians, we see, we can know for sure that his favor is true for us too. And on an even greater scale. Because we weren't just close to death like David was. We were dead and we were brought back to life. We have been rescued from death into life. And in this new life, we are promised riches that are beyond measure. Not because they're going to make us financially wealthy, but because we are going to be found in Christ. Because we are going to be found in Christ now, in the context of Ephesians 2, we can, we can define grace as God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. The favor that God shows us is not earned. It's not out of our own strength. It's only because God looks at us and now sees Jesus in our place. And we should let this stir our souls to thanksgiving, to thankfulness, just like David did. You know, even when cynicism seems to rule in your heart, when you're tempted to ruminate on your despair. Remember that you have been given the free gift of God's eternal favor. And your weeping will one day become everlasting joy. The darkness will not endure. Your circumstances, they won't last forever. God's promises will. God rescued us from death. He rescued us out of death, which is an amazing truth. But what makes it even greater is that we have been rescued into his eternal favor. Now let's move on to our third point. God rescues by his mercy. God rescues from death into his eternal favor by his mercy. Look at verses 6 through 10. As for me... I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. While David at the beginning of the psalm is talking about his rescue in a more general sense, here he begins to talk about a specific season of life where he was in need of God's rescue. And looking at verse 6, we can see that David was in a season of prosperity. But instead of giving God the credit, David becomes prideful. He says, I shall never be moved. You made my mountain stand strong. And then God withdrew. David began to experience God's righteous anger as God responds to the season of pride by hiding his face, leaving David dismayed. So David does the only thing he knows how to do. 
he cries out to God for help. He pleads with God that he will be no use if he's dead. He won't be able to praise God from the grave. The dust will not make a suitable replacement for David's faithfulness. And though David reasons with God, he knows the only way God will rescue him is by his mercy. The only way God will rescue him is by his mercy. Now, where we defined grace earlier as God's unmerited favor, we're going to define mercy now as God withholding deserved punishment. God withholding deserved punishment. See, David knows that his sin is, is worthy of being punished. He knows that his sin was a rebellion against a holy God, so he deserves to die. And as he recalls God's rescue in this specific instance, he knows that God has only acted not because he deserved it, but because of God's mercy towards him. And this mirror is the same mercy that we have received from God. Now look back at Ephesians 2.4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. In our state of spiritual deadness, we deserved eternal punishment. We truly deserved to be sent to the pit and banished from the presence of God forever. But God being rich in mercy, withheld the punishment that we rightly deserved. And this is only made possible because Jesus took the punishment on our behalf. Jesus took the punishment on our behalf. Fully God and fully man, Jesus is the only one who is completely righteous, the only one who perfectly kept the law. And he died on the cross, bearing the full wrath of God and dying the death that we all owed for our sin. A death that was sufficient to satisfy the penalty that we deserve to pay. Then three days later, Jesus triumphantly rose from the grave and he defeated death so that we could have assurance that the grave no longer has authority over us. For all who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus, all who cry out to God as their only helper, we will receive God's mercy. Now let this truth lead you to thankfulness. When you feel overwhelmed by sin, when, when you begin to have thoughts of, of self-condemnation, let the Holy Spirit lead you to remember God's great mercy. That your sins were paid for on the cross, and in his glorious resurrection, Jesus made sure that you would never be given the same punishment. Just like with David, as he cries out to God and receives mercy, God has rescued those who are in Christ by his mercy. God rescues from death into his eternal favor by his mercy. And now I want to I close this morning by looking at the result of God's rescue in David's life the result of God's rescue. Look at verses 11 and 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. 
You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now David, now he's just in full-out praise mode. He's recalled God's great rescue, and now we see the full thanksgiving that it produces. His mourning has become dancing. His sackcloth has been exchanged for gladness. His thankfulness is overflowing. And I want to point out two defining attributes of David's thanksgiving in these verses, really quickly. Two attributes of David's thanksgiving. First, his thanksgiving is weighty. It's weighty. This isn't the kind of thanks that's given with normal circumstantial changes. You know, I, I was personally, I was very happy when I got a raise at work this summer, but it was nothing like this. You know, in verse 12, David uses the phrase, my glory, and that refers to his deepest, innermost being, his, his soul. The, the thankfulness is overflowing from within him. This is, this is really one of the strongest ways of saying that David understands the gravity of his rescue. His thanksgiving is weighty. And then second, it is lasting. David's thanksgiving is lasting. David ends the psalm by saying, I will give thanks to you forever. His thanks, it won't end tomorrow. It won't end in a year. It won't even end at the last day of his life. It will go on for eternity. His thanks won't stop when his circumstances turn for the worst. It won't stop when the darkness around him seems overwhelming or when things just simply aren't going his way. His thanksgiving is lasting. David gets it. David gets that God's rescue goes beyond what is defined by his circumstances. He doesn't get stuck in the surrounding darkness. He doesn't ruminate on his own past sin. And this week, as we enter into the Thanksgiving holiday, as we are asked, what are you thankful for? As, as we try to think about what we're thankful for, it's good to be thankful for circumstances. Hear me say that. It's okay to be thankful to see family. It's okay to eat turkey and be thankful, to watch football. It's good to be thankful for those things. You know, I actually, I would encourage you to think about which circumstances in your life are a blessing. Don't hear me say that those things are bad. But I'm saying don't stop there. Also, be thankful for God's promises to you in Christ the things that will be true in whatever season you find yourself in, the promises that will bring you through the hard times, and the promises that will remain to be true during the good times. Now, as you reflect on, on how, how can I possibly be thankful in this dark world? How can I possibly be thankful with, with the surrounding sin and, and, and the influence of the enemy? How can I be thankful when, when things are still broken? As you reflect on how to be thankful, don't miss how closely David's rescue mirrors how you have been rescued if you are in Christ. God rescued you from death. 
by sending Jesus to die in your place. God rescued you into his eternal favor by freely giving you Christ's righteousness. And God rescued you by his mercy, even when we deserved hell, because of his great love for you. God rescued you from death into his eternal favor by his mercy so that we could give thanks that is weighty and eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can't be thankful people on our own. We need the power of your spirit to move in our hearts and create a wellspring of thanks and praise. Even right now, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to thankfulness, to a thankfulness that stands firm on your eternal promises. Help us to remember that in Christ, you have rescued us from death into your eternal favor by your mercy. Lord, remind us of these things, even as the darkness seems to be surrounding us. Lord, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for your power to make us into new creations and to give us new life in Christ. Hold us tightly to you this week and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.